Chapter Ten of Aunt Hannah and Martha and John by Pansy and Mrs. C. M. Livingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter Ten, Moral Evolution. Aunt Hepsy sat opposite her nephew at the dinner table, and bit generous pieces from her biscuit in grim satisfaction. The biscuits were not very good. Aunt Hepsy was not used to baking powder, and there had been some difficulty about the flour which she did not understand. The result was heavy biscuits, but Aunt Hepsy had made them, and you may have noticed that it is much easier for some people to eat and enjoy what they themselves evolved, even though it is not perfect, than it is for them to bear with composure the failures of others. They are not sour, at any rate, their maker said to herself, with a nod of approval. Truth to tell, Aunt Hepsy was very well satisfied with this present state of affairs. She had always rather fancied John though as a boy he would have been surprised to have been told so, and she had been a housekeeper in her own home for nearly forty years. What wonder that she missed the privilege of doing exactly as she pleased, with none to gainsay or question. Not having lived with her sister Hannah since the two girls were in the old home, she had fancied that it would be a place where she could hold at least partial sway. It had not taken a month's residence to convince her that Aunt Hannah, low-voiced, quiet in movement, calm in manner, had ways of her own, and abided in them, and that Dorcas was simply solid rock when one came in contact with her methods. Aunt Hepsy had chafed a good deal over it, had declared to herself that she couldn't stand it, that she would go away and hire a little house of her own and be independent. But some way, whenever she thought of that little house, it came into unpleasant contrast with Hannah's roomy, breezy one, and the things which Dorcas and her brother did for even Aunt Hepsy's comfort were so numerous as to make her realize that she should miss them unpleasantly. On the whole, she preferred John's house, especially with Martha well out of it, and John to do whatever she wanted done. He, at least, would do as he was told, Aunt Hepsy said, and believed it. Elderly woman though she was, she had very little real acquaintance with human nature, and a man who kept his face without frowns and his voice low, even pleasant, under trying circumstances, was one, in her judgment, to be easily led. Had not poor, dear Joab been of the same temperament? The only thing the good man had done in forty years contrary to her expressed will had been to die. She did him the credit of believing that he could not help that. I do not mean to be sarcastic. I do not want you to get the wrong impression of poor Aunt Hepsy. She had not made her husband's life an unhappy one. She sincerely missed and mourned him, to have the ordering of a house again with no womankind to dispute her sway was a positive joy to the poor old heart. She was a trifle vexed with Martha, it is true, but she meant only good to her, nevertheless. She would manage things with such skill that the ignorant child, when her visit was ended, would open her eyes in astonishment and delight over the changes which had been wrought. Even the dishcloth isn't hung where it ought to be, to be handy, she said, with suppressed energy, as she dashed about the small kitchen after the travelers were gone. The morning was a busy one, and Aunt Hepsy, when she met her nephew at the dinner table, was triumphant. Not a thing in that kitchen or dining room occupied the place it had in the morning. Well, Aunt Hepsy, said John, with cheery voice and manner, this seems like old times. As he spoke he suppressed with resolute will a sigh over the newer times so suddenly vanished, and told himself sternly that it was absurd for a man to be such a simpleton as to have an absolute longing for the sight of a fair, flushed face, framed in brown hair, 
and some brown eyes that had looked brightly at him from across the little table only a few hours ago. "'It isn't as though there were to be months of separation,' he continued, treating himself to a very severe rebuke. "'She will be here again in a little while, and she will be here forever. You are a selfish idiot, to feel desolate over so short a separation.' It is your duty to make Aunt Hepsy have as good a time as you can. Her good times are scarce. The old times to which he had referred meant a never-to-be-forgotten summer which he spent in Aunt Hepsy's home when a rollicking boy of seventeen. Aunt Hannah, in the meantime, being laid aside with a sprained ankle. It is many a year since we sat down alone together, he added, bent on staying among those safe old times. Yes, said Aunt Hepsy with a sigh. There has been a great many changes since then, but I'm glad of a chance to make you comfortable once more, if I haven't any house of my own to do it in. This was lugubrious. He must get away from it. I'm afraid you found a good deal to do this morning, he said kindly. In his heart was the thought of how she must have missed the brisk young steps and the deft and skillful fingers of his wife, who seemed always to move with such grace and ease. Well, said Aunt Hepsy, I expected that, of course, when I consented to stay. I had in mind putting things to rights, and I've begun it. They need it, I must say. You didn't think anything about housekeeping when you picked out a wife. Now that's a fact. No, said the minister, with dignity. I did not. He wanted to add that he thought there were much more important qualifications for wives even than the ability to keep house. As to that... Any woman with brains and good health could compass it in time, and his wife kept house quite well enough for him, and was really a marvel in some respects. Aunt Hannah said so, and who should know if she didn't? All of this he kept to himself, finding it required a strong will to do so. What is the use, he said, still to that trustworthy person, himself? Aunt Hepsy is Aunt Hepsy, and will be until the end of the chapter— and my sensitive little Mattie is not here to be hurt, and she will be here in thirteen and a half more days. I can endure it, surely, until then. Aunt Hepsy took another bite of biscuit. Her satisfaction was increasing. I don't wonder her meals were always late, she said. The wonder is she ever got em ready. Nothing in the house in place, that is, in the place where it ought to be. That's about half the battle in housekeeping." What kind of folks can she have had to start her out in life without any training? Her mother has been an invalid since Mattie was sixteen, said John, gently. A beautiful, patient sufferer, not able to take a step, but the light and comfort of the home. Quite a little more, he said, in the same line, resolved upon enlisting Aunt Hepsy's sympathy for the fair girl whom he had taken from such a home and such a mother, out into the world among strangers, he closed with the sentence. Mattie was her mother's housekeeper for two years before her marriage, though of course she had her mother's judgment and advice to depend upon. Huh, said Aunt Hepsy. Poor dependence, I should say. Folks not able to take any steps don't amount to much in housekeeping. She might have been glad, though, that she could not look into the kitchen and closets. I dare say it would have made her sick. Give me anything but a young girl to tuck away things anywhere— and call places cleared up. John felt his eyes flash a little, as the brown ones might have done. He held his lips resolutely closed. What next? He must get away from that subject. What new things are they doing in the church, Aunt Hepsy? 
Aunt Hannah made so short a visit I had no time to talk it over with her, as I usually do. "'Trying to get rid of their minister,' said Aunt Hepsy promptly. "'Though I don't know as that is a new thing. One of the members told me they had wanted to change for years. I guess they'll starve him out next. They are having dreadful times to raise his salary. The last thing they did was to have a supper, have everything under the sun to eat and drink, and charge a dollar a couple for a supper, but it wasn't a success.' That reminds me. I guess they are going to do some such way here to raise your salary. I heard that Mrs. Prynne talking with Martha over the fence about it this morning before she started. I sincerely hope and trust they will not, John said, his face glooming over instantly. Why not? sharply. They don't pay you any too regular, I should judge, by what I overheard her say. I should think you would want something done to help things out. I do not believe in any such method of doing it. If the Lord's ambassadors are not worthy of their hire, and of having it paid in a regular manner, as any other obligation would be met, they would better send them away and get others whom they are willing to treat with that degree of respect. It would be humiliating to think that the people were willing to pay their pastor's salary only by a road through their stomachs. I do not believe my people will ever do it. They have too much respect for the office, if not for the man." said Aunt Hepsy. Oh, fudge! That seems to me like riding a high horse. You may get bounced off before you know it. Your people are just like other people, I dare say. They've got to raise the money for you, and they don't know how on earth to do it. If they can eat it out of folks, they'll do that. You may depend upon it. I trust not, with increasing firmness. I can take less salary, if it shall seem to be necessary, though it is certainly not large now, and we live as Mattie has never been accustomed to live. Still, we are willing, and more than willing, if that be necessary. But I am sure neither Mattie nor I could submit to such a method of raising what is our due. Foolish John. So wise but a moment before in regard to his wife's kitchen, so idiotic now. Presenting objections born of scruples, which the woman opposite him no more understood than did the little brown teapot beside her. Somewhat chafed she was, too, by John's decided disapproval. Had she not heartily espoused the movement in her sister's church, and argued that Hannah, who had almost a son of her own for whom salaries had got to be raised, ought to be more active in it? Had she not stood in a hot little curtained-off closet and poured coffee and tea until her back ached, and felt that she was doing God's service? It was certainly very disagreeable to have a minister, and her own nephew at that, speak in such a disparaging way of the work. Mrs. Hannah Adams, blessed woman that she was, prided herself just a little bit on her skill in managing people, prided herself on this very bit of management which had resulted in carrying her new niece, Martha, off to the farm to be petted and rested and taught all matter of deft-handedness which should tell for John's future comfort while her slightly cross-grained sister remained behind to be soothed into good humor and propriety of behavior by John, who always got along so beautifully with everybody. Bless her dear old benevolent heart! As she let Dolly jog quietly along, and poured out the treasures of her wise, sweet experience for the young wife's help, could she have imagined a tithe of the mischief which was brewing in the little parsonage so recently left behind, she would have turned Dolly's head around and trotted back before the afternoon's sun was low. Not that Aunt Hepsy meant mischief. 
The worst mischief this world knows anything about is begun by the men and women who mean nothing but dullness or outspokenness, or, at the worst, a passing outburst of irritability. Aunt Hepsy was vexed, and John, in the further attempts at conversation which were made, failed to soothe her. In fact, she had succeeded in depressing him. He told himself it was because he missed Mattie that he was so readily cast down by what Aunt Hepsy had said, that he wasn't used to doing without her, that she had the rare power of saying just the right things at the dinner table and elsewhere, and that two weeks was a very long time, after all. Very busy was Aunt Hepsy all the long, bright afternoon. She omitted her usual afternoon nap for want of time, and was perhaps more careless of her words on that account than she might otherwise have been. It was nearly tea-time when Mrs. Prynne dropped in to see if she would like a little fresh gingerbread for the minister's supper. I knew you were alone, and I didn't know what condition Mrs. Remington might have left you in, going off on Monday morning so, and she a young housekeeper. Oh, I have been at work, said Aunt Hepsy, grimly. I haven't baked gingerbread, it is true, but I have done most everything else under the sun. I haven't sat down before today, only at dinner. And then she wiped a streak of flour from her chin with her apron. I thought you would have your hands full, said Mrs. Prynne. I said to Maria that I had half a mind to come in and offer to help. I saw all the windows up, you know, and heard sweeping going on. It beats all what a sight of work there is to do even in a small house like this. Small houses are the worst, said Aunt Hepsy with energy. This was one of her old grievances. Let Mrs. Prynne but differ with her the least in the world on the sore subject, and she would have been angry with her in less than a twinkling, in which case the general interests of society might have been conversed, for the time being, at least. But no, Mrs. Prynne agreed with her that it took a pattern housekeeper to keep a small house in order, or else things got the upper hand. The upper hand, said Aunt Hepsy, I should think they did. If you could have seen the number of things tucked into that closet out there under the sink, I had them all out and scrubbed the closet on my hands and knees. It wasn't very dirty, to be sure. The things were clean. But then, I can't get along without taking soap and water to places that I go over. She doesn't know what to do with them, I suppose. No more do I. I had to put the most of them back again, because there was no other place. The house is too full. A hundred and fifty knick-knacks that she brought with her from her city home, and they don't fit in here, of course, only to clutter up. She is very young to have all the responsibility that rests upon her, said Mrs. Prynne, with a sigh. Too young altogether. That's what I told John at the time. I said a man had no right to bring a woman a day younger than twenty-five to look after a house and take all the duties of a minister's wife on her shoulders. But what was the use of talking? These young things think that they know everything in the world. All he did was to laugh at me and ask what was going to be done when the wife he had chosen refused to be a day over twenty. Is that her age? I've often wondered. Dear me! Twenty! And expected to lead the meetings, and cut out work at the society, and call on the sick, and I don't know what not. It is a pity, for your nephew's sake, that she hadn't a little experience in some direction, isn't it? I suppose she didn't know what work was in her own home. Work? She doesn't know what work is now, and never will. Takes things easy, you know. When I came the other day, it was after ten o'clock, and the sink was piled full of dishes, actually left over from the dinner before. That will tell you how much the child knows. 
Not that she is to blame for it. She has never been taught. Her mother was one of the sickly kind, always in bed, and they had servants, of course, and Martha for housekeeper. I'd like to have seen the house she kept. I said to my nephew today, You never thought about housekeeping when you picked out a wife, did you? And he drew a long sigh and said, No, he didn't. Poor boy. He's nothing but a boy himself, barely twenty-five when they were married. Two young things playing at living. It is enough to make one sick. John was never one to get along with any too well, I guess, either. My sister Hannah brought him up, and she is peculiar herself, if I am her sister. Iron will, you know. Everybody must bend to her. I didn't know John was of that stamp, but I guess he is. I haven't known him very well for the last eight or ten years, but I can see that he has grown a great deal like his Aunt Hannah. Well, he's had his own way in life so far, and he must abide by it. I'm glad he will have some gingerbread for his supper, and some decent bread. I made bread today, with all the rest. Well, not exactly bread. There hasn't been time for that. But biscuit that isn't sour, and that's a comfort in this house. End of chapter 10